so today uh, we are actually starting um, a brand new series today, and this is um, going to be, let me hit the button, bam, uh, this is going to be an exegetical um, walk through the book of 2 Timothy. Exegetical is just a fancy way of saying that we are going to work verse by verse through the entire book of 2 Timothy. Um, so this is, this is a, a summer series for us. This will get us into August. Um, now, as we work through the book of 2 Timothy, we're going to notice that themes will come out of this. And one of the themes that we're going to so clearly see as we work through here is that of a man who is approved. And that's our heart's desire as Christians, or at least it ought to be our heart's desire as Christians, is to be individuals that will be approved by God, that will get to the end of our life and will hear from our Heavenly Father, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. See, and so what we do is we strive as Christians. Remember, we've said this many times, and we'll say it many more, that being a Christian is not a lifestyle. It's not a lifestyle that you choose and endeavor to live. It is an identity. When you are truly a born-again Christian, when this truly has you, your heart is regenerate, and something happens in you to where now your whole identity is about Jesus it's not just a way that you wake up and say, you know what, today, today I am now known as a guy that works out. I have a workout lifestyle. I wake up at six. I can't, I can't even. Um, I get on the treadmill. I do my thing. That's always, I always, that's my Monday morning. Like that's, it's, today's the day. But we're not talking about a lifestyle. Christianity is, it's who you are. It's your character. It's your identity. Okay? And your identity here is one that will show up as approved. So 2 Timothy, Paul writes this book. It's a letter. It's a letter that he writes to Timothy. And it's a letter that we should understand as his last will and testament. Okay? And so the way that we understand this is that uh, Paul is in jail. And he's about to die. And he knows it. Now, jail is not new for Paul. Paul's been in jail a lot. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's been whipped in, in multiple times. He's been uh, dragged out of the city and stoned. So they, they drug him out of the city. They picked up rocks. They threw rocks at him. He, he fell down and lay on the ground, and they threw more rocks at him to the point where he should have been dead. They thought he was dead. They walked away thinking, good, we killed Paul. Paul wakes up, and he walks back into the city because he knows they can't hurt him. If God's not ready for him to be hurt, they can't hurt him. This is Paul's attitude. And, and in fact, look here what he says. Work better if I turn that on. Look what he says here in Philippians. This is another letter that Paul writes to the church in Philippi. He says, for me, living means living for Christ, but dying would be even better. See, talk about an eternal perspective. This is a guy who says, man, living is great. See, some of you, some of you, you want to live forever. And that's cool, I guess. But I think, you know, those are like, I, I, we got to live forever. And I, I want to live well when I'm here. And I want to I live effectively. And I want to have a life that makes sense and that means something and that provides something and that leaves a legacy and that does something awesome. But man, there is nothing about this life that I want to cling to. I don't want to get to the end of this life with stuff in reserve right? Physically, emotionally, financially. I want to pour it all out. Why? Because what's next is even better for the Christian. For the Christ follower, what's next is even better. This is why it says, um, for me, living means living for Christ, pouring myself out for the sake of gospel. And that's great. But dying is even better because in dying, I get to go be with Jesus and I get to be in glory. And we did a whole series on heaven. And, and if you're not sure that heaven is worth it, go back and listen to those seven weeks because I promise you it's well worth it. And then he says this, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I mean, this is a guy who gets it. He says, man, when I am on mission, I am doing something that honors and magnifies Jesus. When we think about magnifying Jesus, when I say magnify Jesus, some of you think like microscope. Like I take this little tiny thing and I look through the microscope and it makes it look bigger. When Paul talks about magnifying Jesus, he's talking about telescope. 
I'm looking through the telescope and seeing something glorious and majestic and awesome, and I'm showing it through the telescope more like it really is. Not perfectly, but I'm showing it more like it really is. That's your job, Christ follower, is to glorify and magnify Christ. You can't show him as he really is, right? You're imperfect, you're flawed, I'm imperfect, I'm flawed. I can't show him as he really is, but I can magnify him. I can show him more like he really is. Okay, and so that's the point. He says, for me, living means living for Christ. Dying is even better, but if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't even know which is better. I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me, but for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. And Paul continues that statement saying, so guess what? I know I'm going to live because God's not done with me yet. And he's right. He's released from jail in this scenario, and he goes on and he, and he continues. But at this point in time, when he's writing this letter to, to Timothy, it's this point. Here's what he says right before. He's talking to the elders in Ephesus, and right before he goes to Jerusalem where he gets put in jail and he gets sent to Rome, and it's all going to be bad. It's going to end poorly for him physically. He says, I declare today that I have been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. I love that, right? He's like, he's like look, your blood, uh, the New King James will say it this way, my hands are innocent of your blood. Basically what Paul is saying here, and it, it, it stings if we're not careful, what he says is, you may end up in hell, but you cannot blame me. My hands are clean. Because I have not shrunk back from declaring all that God wants you to know. The grace, mercy, and peace of Jesus Christ. I have told you everything there was to tell you. My hands are clean. Basically what Paul's saying here is, I'm done. He'll say it later in 2 Timothy as we move on in this letter that he writes, that he has run the race. He has fought the good fight, and he is finished. And so there's an attitude shift. Earlier in his life in ministry, when Paul's in jail, he always knows there's more work to do. And so he's confident that he will leave jail, that he'll escape the calamity, and that he will continue to do the ministry that God's put in front of him. At this point, when he writes this letter to Timothy, he doesn't have that attitude. His attitude is, I'm done. I have accomplished everything. And it's not like I give up. Because remember, remember this in Philippians, he said, man, to die would be even better. That's what I really want. I want to go and be with Jesus. And so here he's in jail and he says, man, finally, I have run the race. I have fought the good fight of faith. I am finished now. And he's writing this letter to Timothy that is almost this last will and testament. It says, Timothy, my work has been approved by God and I want your work to be approved by God as well. That's the crux of this letter, is encouragement to Timothy to say, I want you to show up before God and to be approved. Approved for service. Approved for eternity. I want this for you. So this is his heart's desire. And so let's get into the text here. Second Timothy, we're going to look through seven verses this morning. We're just going to kind of march through them. That's how we'll do this series. Okay? And, and we're going to see that part of what Paul is trying to impart to Timothy is this rootedness in faith and in life. Okay, and he does that in a couple ways here. Let's start. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I've been sent out to tell others about the life that he's promised through faith in Christ Jesus. And so we start this whole thing here, and I love it. He, he, he starts with um, this now... See what he says next. I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. They know each other well, right? This isn't a pen pal. This is an intimate relationship. But he still starts with his qualifications. He still starts with his resume. You know, I love this. And so he says, hey, this letter is from Paul. This is me writing it. And I am chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. By the way, he's saying this isn't a lifestyle decision I made one day. I didn't wake up one day and say, hey, you know what? Today I feel like I should be a Christian. I should be a good person. I want to be moral. I want to go to church. You know what? I want to say grace before meals. I want to hang that prayer changes thing sign on my wall. And, you know, today I'm going to start playing the part of Christian. That's not what he says. That's not how it works. He says, no, 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 no. This is me. This is who I am. This is my identity. This letter is from Paul. I was chosen, not because I decided I wanted to be, 
but I was chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. It is my identity. You could almost hear Paul saying, I couldn't do anything else if I wanted to. This is who I am. Have you ever had something like that? I mean, we're in church, and so you're supposed to say, yeah, being a Christian. Yeah, okay, okay. But I mean, think about it. Have you ever had something that was like, you couldn't do anything else? This is just who you are. It's in your DNA. It's how you're wired. There's just nothing else for you to do. Some of you feel that way about camping. Some of you feel that way about, about biking. Some of you feel that way about baseball. I'm looking around and seeing faces, I know they would say, I feel that way about, some of you feel that way about farming, right? Like this is, I am a farmer. There is not, like you couldn't get me to do another job. This is what I do. And see, so you get this. And, and that's what Paul's saying. He's like, I, he's, he's like, get that feeling because that's the way I am about being a Christian. By the way, there's nothing wrong. Let's see, biking, camping, baseball, farming, whatever it is. For, it's great. That's who you are. Those are the things that God's wired into you. This one supersedes that, right? This is, this is higher than that. He says, I am chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. That means I've been sent out to tell others about the life that he's promised through faith in Christ. That's my job. That's what I'm about. That's who I am. It's my resume. And then he says this. He says, I'm writing this to my dear son, Timothy. Now, this is not Paul's son, Paul doesn't have children. But what he's saying here is, my dear son, and there's almost a parenthetical statement if you read that in the original context that says, in the faith. I'm writing this to my dear son Paul in the faith. So Paul is saying that, Timothy, I have acted as your spiritual father. Here's what I want you to do. Think about, I don't need you to raise your hand. I don't need you to shout it at me. Shout at me in your head. Who is somebody in your life, whether it's in Christ and in the faith or whether it's in any other thing who has come alongside and mentored and poured into you? Someone that you would consider a father in that way. See, for me, I would consider um, a, a father in the faith. You've heard me talk about him before, Troy Fincher. Because, you know, I had faithful role models, but nobody that was like, Matt, sit down. I need to pour into you here, and I need to do this for you until uh, Troy Fincher. And that was when I was being super spiritual, and I was dropping Riley off for Sunday school, and I was going to Panera. Every Sunday, I'm like, hey, Sunday school is important for you. So I would drive her, and I would drop her off at Sunday school. I would slow down, mostly. And, and she would, like, tuck and roll out of the car and ride on into Jeff Condit Sunday school class. And she learned a lot in Jeff Condit Sunday school class. That's, by the way, if you ever want to grow in your faith, you should see if you could sign up for Jeff Condit's junior high Sunday school class. Because it, like it was like a degree in theology, right? Anyway, she would get out, and I would go to Panera, and I would read a book and drink my coffee and have a nice leisurely morning, and then an hour later, I would go back and join the rest of the family for church. I was being really very spiritual. And Troy Fincher stops me in the parking lot one time and says, hey, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to go get coffee. I'll be back for church. Don't worry about it. And Troy, in his grandfatherly kind of a way, said, no, you're not. We didn't know each other very well. So you're going to come back here with me which was weird, because Troy is also the guy that liked to greet you with a holy kiss. That's no joke. Like, I mean, Troy was a, a, a face kisser. Oftentimes, I think because he couldn't see very well, oftentimes on the lips. But I mean, he, and he did it too. Like, he would get a hold of your face, and he would bring you in, and he would plant one. But he was like your grandpa, so what are you going to do? Like, I mean, like, okay, I guess we're kissing. <laughs> See, Troy actually tried to mentor a lot of guys. Most of them ran away at this point, but, but I was like, I'm in. So Troy and I, we went in the back, and a couple other guys joined us, and, and, and Troy taught me what accountability was. 
He taught me how to ask tough questions. You know how he taught me that? He taught me that by modeling what it was like to answer tough questions. Like when I said I'm with Troy, and Troy said, as a 65-year-old man, you know, I struggle with pornography. And I, I'm the, the, the 27-year-old guy trying to figure out, you know, what it means to live a Christian life. Man, there's something powerful about that. And, and when Troy says to me, hey, Matt, ask me this question. Ask me when you see me. Ask me the question. Hey, man, have you put anything in front of your face that you should be embarrassed about? So, I mean, me, at 27, 28 years old, getting to ask the person pouring into me spiritually that question, that changes things. So I would say Troy is, is my spiritual father to a large degree. I think I have lots, but, but he's the one that stands out as the guy that first said, man, you're a Christian, but you don't know what that means yet. Let's figure this out together. See, Paul says that about Timothy. He says, man, I, I am writing to my, my spiritual son in the faith. And you know what? Here's the thing that I know. I know that cost Troy. It cost him time. It cost him effort. It cost him um, energy. But he did it willingly. And I like to think that there's some fruit from my ministry, and I like to think that he gets some of that credit in glory. Because that's how this works. See, Troy was reproducing himself in me, and then he asked me to go reproduce myself in others so that I can ask them to reproduce themselves in others, and, and we can start this wave of things. This is, this is how this works. But, but this is what Paul is to Timothy. He says, I'm your spiritual son. So here's my big question for you as we get started with this whole text. Man, who's your Timothy? Who are you pouring into? And it's great that Mark had dad stand. That was appropriate because it's Father's Day. But man, you don't have to be a dad to be critical in the life of somebody. You ask most Gen Zers and most millennials, especially younger millennials and Gen Zers, what is it that you really want? What do you really want from the church? You know what the number one answer is? Overwhelmingly, 70 plus percent. You know what the number one answer is that those folks want? They want to be mentored. They want to be taught. They want somebody to come alongside and do life. And you know what? Here's the thing. It's not as complicated as you might think. It just takes risking. It takes some vulnerability. It takes a guy like Troy saying to a guy, I mean, you could skip the kissing, but saying to a guy, you're going to come in here and you're going to sit with me and we're going to talk about Jesus. And then it takes him being vulnerable enough to say, man, I got problems and I want you to help me and I want to help you with yours and we're going to grow to be more and more like Jesus. And he was further along than I was. But it was a two-way street. It's all it takes. But that's what people are asking for. That's what, you're like, how do we engage the younger generation? Oh, how do we do that? Engage. That's all, they, that's all they're asking for is for you to engage. So who's your Timothy? Who can you pour into? We keep going here. And this is Paul continuing. He, he, he's, this is still the salutation of the letter. He's like, hey, I am Paul. By the grace of God, I was a sinner. Now I am redeemed. I have been called to be an apostle of Christ pouring into other people, teaching them in the faith, and, and, and that's what I'm about. You are my spiritual son who I have taken the time, effort, and energy to pour into. And then he says this, may God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Timothy, this is personal now. I mean, you know, you know, when you're having a conversation with somebody, you're just talking, but you know when you use their name, you're like, hey, you know what, I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking. I say, but Aubrey, Look at me. And then, right, this is, this is personal, okay? This is the part where Troy would grab my face. Well, it's a letter. He can't grab his face, so he says, Timothy, Timothy, listen, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience, I thank God for you. Night and day, I remember you in my prayers. That's not hyperbole. You know how I know that's not hyperbole? Because this is a book authored by the Holy Spirit. When it says in Scripture, man, I remember you night and day. It's a bookend. Paul's saying, hey, Timothy. Son, the day doesn't start that I don't think about you. And a day doesn't end where I haven't thanked God for you, where I am not lifting you up in prayer. A day doesn't go by 
where I haven't made you a priority in my life. Yeah, we don't see each other. I'm locked in jail. But it doesn't mean that you're far from my heart. It doesn't mean you're far from my mind. And we say, okay, well, that's great, but what is he praying? Well, he's praying blessing. You know what he's praying? Grace. He is praying grace. It says it right there. Grace, mercy, and peace. He is praying grace on Timothy. Are you kidding me? Is there a better thing you could pray over somebody? Dads, men who love your wives and love your children, or men who love your grandchildren and, 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 and your kids, or who just want to pour into the next generation? Is there something better that you could pray for your kids or, or for your spouse than grace? Amazing, transformative grace? We, have, we say around here all the time, grace rules the day. Why? It's not just some pithy thing we say, because it's grace that changes everything. It's grace that saves sinners. It's grace that redeems slaves. It's grace that heals sick. It's grace that brings life where there's death. I mean, it's grace that changes everything. None of this works without grace. Grace is this free gift that God offers that he pours out on the cross as he lays himself out completely for the sake of those that he loves because he is a good, good father, and he does this. And Paul, night and day, to this person that he's poured into, says, man, I pay, I, I pray grace for you, transformative, real Grace, not lip service grace, not good. God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for this food. Amen. Grace, but real grace, the grace of God, I pray for you night and day. And only slightly better than, uh, uh, grace is good. Maybe slightly under grace is mercy. He's like, not only do I pay grace for you, I, I pray mercy for you. Mercy is this idea that God withhold what's coming. Man, listen, I don't know about you. We joke about it here because I say it all the time. Oh, Matt's gross and he's messy. He's broken and messy. You know what? Yeah. Matt's gross. He's broken and he's messy and he jacks it up all the time. And he's better than he used to be. Why am I talking about myself like this? It's weird, right? I mess it up all the time, and I'm because because it, it's 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 nicer. No, I, I mess it up all the time, and I'm better than I used to be, but I'm not there yet, and I'm not sure how long it should take me. I thought I should have been there ten years ago, but I'm still working on it. Man, my fruits of the spirit sometimes are strong. Sometimes I need to go shopping because I'm out. But Troy Fincher prayed mercy over me. God, protect him from his mistakes. I believe these words came out of his mouth as we prayed together. God, he doesn't know he's stupid. That's right. That's right. That happened. It didn't sting, though. It was refreshing. God, he doesn't know what he doesn't know. Show mercy to his mistakes. Give him mercy for his I can tell you, I pray that for my kids all the time. God, yeah, they do stupid now. They do stupid now because they don't know better. They do stupid now because they're not sure. But God, protect them. Show them mercy on their, their poor decisions and their mistakes so that it doesn't hinder their worship of you later on. It's a prayer I pray for my kids. It's a prayer I hope you pray for those that are important in your life. And, and this is an opportunity where, where Paul's saying, not only do I pray grace so that your life is transformed and you don't do stupid, I pray mercy over your life so that when you do stupid, God shows you kindness and favor. And he says, and I pray peace. And not a peaceful life. What Paul is praying here is, I want you to have the peace that I have. And Paul has been beaten, he's been whipped, and he's been beaten with rods. One of the very few people um, who could say, you know what, I prefer the whip over the rod when I get beat. And had multiple experiences with both to be able to, to judge. He's been shipwrecked, he's been stranded at sea, he's been thrown in jail. 
And now he's in jail at the end of his life, and he's going to be beheaded, and he knows it. And he says, I want you to have the peace that I have. Are you kidding me? Sometimes we pray that our kids will have easy going. I don't necessarily think that's wrong. I want my kids to have easy going, but oh man, this is better. I want you to have the peace that passes all understanding because living the Christian life is hard, because living the Christian life is difficult, and living the Christian life is going to cause you pain and grief. And living the Christian life is oftentimes, even though all you're trying to do is honor the God of the universe, this world that we live in is going to paint you as the villain. And so what Paul's getting ready to tell Timothy in this letter is don't shrink away. Do not shrink away. But he's not just saying don't shrink away. He's saying, look, I pray peace on you, peace that passes understanding, peace so that when stuff gets real, when life gets real, peace that will build you up in it peace that will hold you up in the midst of, you know, you, you may get cancer and, and you may have spouse issues and, and your kids may get sick and oh, God forbid, your spouse, loving husband and father might tragically die. I can pray against those things, but they happen in a broken world. But you know what I can do? I can pray peace peace that does not make sense. It's what we prayed for Brittany and the boys before we started this morning is we're praying peace that doesn't make sense because the rest of the world will see heartache and tragedy and despair. And yes, that's real, but there's something true about the God of the universe coming inside you and holding you up and lifting you up and saying, you know what? I've got you. Yeah, it's bad, but you're going to be okay. And how do you know you're going to be okay? Because I've got you. Let me ask you this question. I mean, Timothy was rooted in blessing. He was rooted in prayerfulness and he was rooted in blessing. Paul prayed for him night and day. Not a day went by, a morning where Paul woke up that he didn't think of Timothy and, and, a, and a night where he shut it down and he went down for, for sleep where he didn't think about Timothy. And as he's praying for him, he's praying transformative grace that your life is changed and builds and stands up and is approved, and mercy that when you make mistakes, God is not looking to ding you. God's not looking to ding you, but mercy so that you're protected from the consequences of those as you try to grow, right? And then peace so that when things go bad, you'll be lifted up and built up and undergirded with truth, and that you'll know that God's for you. He prays those things for him. So my question for you is this. Do you think that Timothy's life was shaped by that prayer? Maybe the dumbest question I've ever asked you. Of course, Timothy's life. You know what? I feel compelled to ask you to say yes. I'm at, I know we don't normally do this kind of thing because it's cheesy and it's weird. If you didn't know, I'm a little cheesy and slightly weird. So I'm going to ask and you're going to answer. Look, it's right there. Did Paul's prayers for Timothy have something to do with how... By the way, in case you don't know the end of the story, Timothy rocked it. Timothy pastored churches. Timothy appointed leaders. Timothy reproduced himself so that not just the church that he was in charge of thrived, but that churches were established and thrived. Timothy is, we are a byproduct of Timothy's faith. When I talk to you about, you know what, church planning, and I talk to you about uh, multiplication, and I talk to you about all these other things, and we're like, eh, we're not sure yet. Yes, okay, and our model is here. We're going to read this in 2 Timothy time and time again. This is how this works. Paul reproduces himself all across the known world at times. He travels on missionary juries, and, and the call to Timothy is go do the same, and he does the same, and he tells the people that he pours into and grows, hey, you go do the same, and it goes on and on and on, and we are the byproduct of that. Okay, we're the byproduct of that faithfulness to multiplication, it's not something we get to take lightly, but that's what happens. So Timothy rocks it at Paul's instruction in the Holy Spirit's power. Grace and mercy and peace prayed over him daily. Do you think that Paul's prayers for Timothy had something to do with the way he turned out? Yeah. Awesome! Then who are you praying for like that? Who? Who, I mean, I asked you, who are you pouring into, like Paul poured into Timothy? Who are you praying for? Listen, if you've got kids, this is a no-brainer. 
If you've got grandkids, this is a no-brainer. If you've got people that God has put on your heart, even if they're not biologically yours, this is a no-brainer. You're here and you're a stepdad? Listen, man, this is tougher for you, but you've got you to own this. If God has brought kids to you, he has said, you know what? Bob, I know they're not yours, but they're yours. Guess what? That means God thought something enough of you to say, I'm trusting you with the prayers for these kids, with their lives, with their hearts, with their passions. I'm trusting you. Listen, you've got a point of that. And if you're here today, and I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking around, I don't see necessarily anybody, but I know we have these folks in our church at times. Uh, if you're here and you're a single mom, choose carefully. Choose wisely. And if you're here today and you're interested in a single mom, tread carefully. This is not a small thing. This is a big deal. Who are you praying for like that? There's got to be somebody in your life that you're pouring into. I tell you what, I have exceeded my level of competence. I don't know how many times as a pastor. Yet there's always people that I can find that are willing to have this kind of influence in me, to pour into me to help grow me up, to sit down and, and, and pray with me and to pray grace and mercy and peace over me. It's only because they're willing. You need to be willing to do that for others too. We keep going. 2 Timothy uh, 1 verses 4 and 5 here. It says, I long to see you again for I remember your tears as we parted. This is, just, uh, this is Paul saying, look man, I long to see you again. Paul is hoping that Timothy will get to him while he's in jail. He's in jail, but he still gets visitors. He's asked Timothy to come. I long to see you again. I remember your tears as we parted, and I'll be filled with joy when we're together again. But, but that idea of when we are together again, that's an open-ended statement there if you look at the original. That means I don't know if it's going to happen now or if it's going to happen in eternity. But I know it's going to happen I long to be with you again. I long to see you again because I remember your tears as we parted. And the, you know what the tears were? Because there was nobody confused at the parting that this was going to end in Paul's death. We read in, in Acts 20 that the elders in Ephesus broke down in tears as Paul said goodbye before Paul left because they knew, everybody knew, that this was going to result. His getting to his destination where he felt God was compelling him to go was going to result in his arrest and his imprisonment and eventually his execution. And Paul said, you know what? I get that, but I have to do what God tells me to do even if it ends in my death and it's going to be okay. And there were tears and, and Timothy was a part of that and these tears. It says, I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that the same faith continues strong in you. So there's some challenge here too. Paul says, look, look, I know your faith, and I know it's strong. And I know it's strong because I know you were taught well. See, here's what happened. Uh, if you read through the book of Acts, it, this, this is, is a letter that Paul writes, if you look on a timeline, uh, towards the end of Acts. When we get to the end of Acts, this would be about the time that Paul is in jail writing this, this letter. Luke, of course, writes Acts, and so he's narrative. By the way, if you're not sure where to start reading the Bible, people ask me this all the time, side note, read Luke and then read Acts. Written by the same author, Luke writes them both, he writes them both in the same way, and basically this is while Jesus is alive, and then Acts picks up after Jesus is resurrected. And then the book of Acts continues the story through the birth of the early church. And so if you're looking, you're like, I don't know where to start reading the Bible. I always say, read Luke and then read Acts. And as you read them, read them as an investigative journalist piece, journalism piece. Because Luke, that's what he was doing. He was paid by um, Theophilus, 
to go and investigate and write these accounts. And so he did his research. He did his interviews. He, you know, he talked to, to the firsthand witnesses, to people that were there to write this account for the person that was paying for it. And, and that was Luke. And then he did the same thing in the book of Acts for the spread of the early church. And, and that's why those are so helpful to read because they read like um, part one, part two. Anyway, what happens is Paul goes on his first missionary journey and on his first missionary journey, Paul runs in, when he gets to Galatia, he, he runs into this woman named Lois. Because Paul does what he always does on a missionary journey. He goes and he preaches in the synagogues. And so here we have two um, Jewish converts. We have Lois and her daughter, Eunice, who were good, faithful Jews, converts. They weren't, uh, they weren't ethnically Jewish, but they were Jewish converts, and they went to the synagogue, and Paul goes to the synagogue, and he reasons from the scriptures that they know about the risen Christ. And they immediately got in. They immediately said, yes, we understand it now. They accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, and they turned their lives over to him. And then as Paul moves on, what these women do is they go home and they pour into their grandson. Their, grand, their grandson and, and, and uh, Eunice's son, and they teach him scriptures, and he understands, and, and he gives his life to Christ, and he is baptized, and he takes this seriously, so much so that when Paul comes back through in his second missionary journey, he hears about Timothy from the men of Lystra. We read about that in Acts 16, I want to say. He, 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 he's told about Timothy, this young man, young, probably teenage at the time, early 20s maybe, this young man who is strong in the faith and is well spoken of by the men in Lystra. Why? Because Lois and Eunice poured into him, and so he's rooted in faith. Parents, this is a big deal for you. Moms, grandmas, dads, grandpas, listen to me. It matters. They may wander they may flirt with other things. They may decide, as all kids are wont to decide, that you're an idiot at some point in time. Raise your hand if you've been through that phase with your kids where you got really stupid and then you got really smart again. I, uh, some of you just aren't being honest. Okay? But that happened to us and it'll happen again and it's happening now. You know, where, where things that we used to, like, hey, we trust you guys. You're our parents. You would never lead us astray. Hey, my teacher told me that you guys are wrong, and so I've known them for like three months, and I think that they're the smartest person I've ever met, and so you guys are stupid. But then we get to college or get out of college, and it's like, wow, you guys got really smart again. It's this cycle, and I know it's frustrating, but it matters. Don't stop doing it. Don't stop pouring into your kids. I don't care how old they are. Even if they're out of your house, don't stop pouring into them. It matters. Don't quit. It's worth it. Paul says, look, man, I know this faith in you. I long to see you again, and I will. I will see you again, even if it's not till heaven. How do I know? Because I remember your genuine, sincere, real faith. It was taught to you by your grandmother and your mother, and it was confirmed in me as I mentored and poured into you, and I am confident. And Paul, he says this thing too. He says, and I know the same faith continues strong in you. It's in you. I know it is. And then we get to this, these last two verses, and this is this is important here. This is the part where we're going to land. It says, this is why I remind you. It says, this is it, Timothy. This is the crux of the whole letter. We've gotten into verses 6 and 7, and, and we're getting to this buildup. All of this is the stuff about, here's what you mean to me, kid. I love you. I pour into you. You know I've poured into you. I know your faith is real, and, and I pray for you all the time. Grace and mercy and peace Every day, twice a day, I bookend my day with thoughts and prayers for you because I love you and I want good for you and I want you to be approved. And then he gets to this in 6-7. It's like, and this is the point of my letter to you. And this will drive us through the rest of this series. This is it. I'm reminding you so that you will fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Now, don't get too Pentecostal on me. This isn't Paul suggesting that he... Um, somehow imparted a spiritual gift to Timothy. Like, I, I put my hands on you, and now all of a sudden you have a gift you didn't have. That's not what he's saying. Uh, there's no way to make it say that when we look at original language and context. What he's saying is, man, I was there when you were commissioned. You know, last week Malia had small group leaders um, identify themselves, and then she prayed a commissioning over them as we started the next small group cycle. 
God bless them and use them and, and, and build this in them and do this for them. Mark did that for fathers. It's what Paul did. He, he separates Timothy and he lays hands on him and he prays blessing over him. He prays blessing over his leadership, over the gifts that God has given him. He says, I want you to nail it. He prays this blessing over him. And so Paul says, you remember when that happened? You remember when that happened? Don't settle for a spark, man. You fan that into a flame. This is, this is the reality. If you are here today and you are a Christian, there is this spark that you have. There's no denying it. It's there. Actually, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you have a semblance of that spark because you are created in the image of God. We all are. When you are born again and you are made new in Christ, this is a full-fledged um, flame. Think pilot light on the stove. Right? It's there. It's always there. It's under the surface. Unless you have an electric stove, and then you can just imagine what I'm saying. Okay? And it's there. And what, what Paul is saying is, man, fan it. Make it something real. Or, if we, if we want to go, you know, gas stove analogy, this is where we would say, blow on it. Because that's what we had to do as kids. Because you turn it on and it would never go. And so you'd have to play this game where you'd get really close to it. And you'd blow. And then it would take off. Uh, it was a fun game, I guess. Um, but this is what Paul's saying, man. Fan that thing into a flame. Don't settle for a spark. Don't settle for this little thing, Timothy. Man, I have prayed day and night for you. Grace and mercy and peace. Now it's time for you to get after it. Stop settling for this little teeny tiny spark that's just kind of okay. Stop settling for this little mundane thing and this little silly existence right here, but do something better than that. It says, fan that thing into flames. And guys, I am convinced that this is something that the, the American church, that the Vinton church is lacking in abundance, is this kind of passion to fan that little thing into flames. We are so satisfied with this safe little thing that it's, that Paul would rebuke us if he were writing us a letter. He would correct us, he would tell us to get over ourselves, and he would say, stop settling, and you fan it into a flame, and you do something, because this is the reality. The gospel is not meant to keep us safe. It's meant to make us dangerous. The gospel is not meant so that we can be safe and happy and comfortable right here. Timothy is safe and happy and comfortable. And Paul is saying, not good enough, dude. Fan that thing into a flame and get after it. And, and it's the same for us. We should be doing dangerous things for the sake of the gospel. We're going to hear from Matt and Amy Klein this summer. I'm so excited I got an email from Matt Klein that they are going to be on a short home stay. Not a, not a tour necessarily. They're not coming for a home visit, but Ada's got some, some doctor's appointments. And he's like, man, I'm going to be at your church on July 8th. So what are we? We're like three weeks from now. I'm going to be at your church on July 8th. He's like, I'd love to serve the church. We're going to be there and worship and that's great. But if you want us to talk or preach or whatever, I'm like, dude, you're, you're, you're going to preach. We're going to hear from Matt Klein preach because this is a guy that gets it. This is a guy who said, you know what? I'm taking my wife and I'm taking my child and I'm going to Turkey why? So that I can risk everything for the sake of the gospel, because the gospel is not meant to keep me safe. The gospel is meant to make me dangerous, and I will do dangerous things for the sake of Jesus. And I want to hear from that guy as much as I can. And I want you to hear from that guy as much as you can. Because guys, <laughs> we got to get this. I mean, we're so sometimes stuck wanting it our way. And I'm the same way. I'm stuck wanting it my way. And, we're, and a lot of times the way we want it is the way that feels most comfortable. It's the way that makes sense for us. And that's not wrong. We, we, I mean, I, I'm, yes, it is wrong. But I get it, right? We get there because we're like, well, this works for me, so it should work for other people. Right? Because it's, it's the way it is for me. It's the way it is for other people. I tell you what, if, if Matt Klein went to Turkey with that kind of attitude... His ministry is woefully ridiculous. Because it won't work that way.
We're going to read in this book, all through this book, man, that if we're going to show up as approved, we are going to risk for the sake of the gospel. And sometimes they're going to be small risks, and sometimes they're going to be big risks, but we are going to risk for the sake of the gospel. And if we don't think Jesus is worth it, then we've got problems. We finish up the text here. It says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. If what I'm saying scares you, then you are in good company because it scared Timothy. Paul knew it scared Timothy. Paul knew that it was going to ruffle his feathers. And he said, don't worry about it, Timothy, because here's the deal. God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of power. God has not given you a spirit of, of, of timidity, of dip my toe in and see what happens and then pull it back. I confess to you, sometimes that's the way I lead you. Sometimes I lead you with a spirit of fear and timidity. I want to dip my toe in and I want to see who's going to get frustrated with me and then I want to be okay. But that's my confession to you and that's where I have people pouring into me all the time. I need that because I need them to tell me, man, God didn't give you that spirit. That's not from God. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear and timidity. God has given you a spirit of power and love and passion and self-control. You know, Vince is on vacation this week, and he texted me um, a picture of a book he's reading. Um, Vince is, uh, you know, Vince, he's, he's 26, and um, so his vacation is how little money can I spend, and, and he's a nature guy, so his vacation was all week long driving around to places that are about two or three hours away from here in the state of Iowa looking at stuff, probably camping, like I get pictures of waterfalls, um, you know, hey, look, here's a bridge. Um, like, well, first of all, yay. Like, I could see all those on the internet. Um, but we're different people. But also, he's, he's read, I think, maybe almost a book a day. Uh, maybe not that much. Maybe it's, it's every other day. But, but I think he's gone through three, three books or four books or so while he's on this trip. And uh, occasionally, he'll highlight or circle something and take me a screenshot of something that struck him, especially in regards to the church as a whole. And, and he sent me something about uh, from Erwin McManus in a book called The Barbarian Way. Men, everybody, but men specifically. If you think that the Christian life is um, meant to be civil, you need to read The Barbarian Way by Erwin McManus. It's a book that'll kick your butt. But he highlights this part and he sends it to me and it's this section of the book about the fact that the church's number one problem in not reaching the lost is that we are too civilized. And the more civilized we get, the more restrained we get and the safer we want to be. Now, I'm not talking like uncivilized, like, you know, um, being gross and, and, and being unruly. I'm talking about civilized in terms of, you know what, it's nice and it's safe and it's neat. And the call is to be uncivilized and to just pour everything out for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're here today, I, would, I challenge you to read, read that book um, or check into that a little bit. But, but ultimately, the reason that I ask you to do that is because I want you to be uncivilized for the sake of the gospel. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, as your pastor, as your spiritual um, leader, as, as the primary leader of the church here, that's, that's where I want to take you. And I know it scares some of you, and I get it. But that's where we're going because the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth it. And I want you to know this, oftentimes by name, but that would be, uh, I, I probably would never get off my desk, but I pray for you as a church body, oftentimes by name, sometimes not, uh, sometimes just as a whole, but I pray grace and mercy and peace on you daily. There is not a morning that goes by when I don't think of you 
and there is, there is not a night that passes where I have, not, um, I have not prayed grace and peace and mercy on you, and that will continue. And I'd ask you to do the same for me and for the rest of the body. Because where we're going is hard. Where Timothy is going is hard, and Paul knows it, but he says, I want you to be approved. Approved for ministry and approved in the faith, and it is going to be hard, and you're going to have to risk, and you're going to have to do things that you don't want to do. But Timothy, it is well worth it, because you will stand before God, and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's where we're going. It's going to be a fun seven or eight weeks as we continue to work through this. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up and the ushers to come forward. Uh, and uh, I'm going to pray for us. And, and I'm going to invite you um, to, to pray with me. And then as the ushers come around to collect our, our tithes and offerings, I want to remind you if you're visiting with us, uh, the offering is something we do for those that call Blessed Hope home. I mean, I'm never going to say, no, don't put money in the offering plate. You're just visiting. But the reason that we do this is to, to fund the ministries of the church. And the ministries of the church are all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith in Action is a great example of that. Everything we do is member-funded. Um, and so the fact that we were able to reach out and pour out, I'm going to pray for us before we start. Um, but the reason we were able to do all of those things is simply because, okay, you guys value it. And so you guys find that important, and you guys fund those, and so our mission dollars have been able to get put to work that way, and, uh, and I thank you for that. So I'm going to pray for us. Uh, if you're visiting, though, this is a good time for you to drop that connection card in the offering plate. Uh, and then after I've prayed, we're going to watch a short video as these guys collect the offering about CSI. CSI is back, okay? Uh, it's the last two weeks of July, and I would encourage you, um, if you've got kids um, in elementary school, let's... Uh, CSI is a great experience for them. Talk to anybody that's done it before, and I think they will have that same message for you. And also, we're always looking for volunteers to help with that. CSI is all day, Monday through Friday, uh, for two weeks, and so it's a big endeavor. Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the truth of Scripture. Thank you for uh, the fact that Paul poured into Timothy and we get the recorded admonishment and encouragement so that we can learn from it and we can treat it as our own. Father, I ask you to bless the words of Scripture as we read them. Bless them to our hearts. Help us to understand and be motivated to move and change and grow. Father, we love you. We praise you. And we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We pray a blessing on this offering. We ask you to take it and use it to bring the gospel where it needs to be. As always, God, we pray that you take it to bring light where there's darkness, hope where there's hopelessness, and life where there's death. God, we love you, and we praise you. Amen.